Welcome, welcome to Freaked Out with your co-host, Liz and Landon. What's up, everybody? It is that time of year again where we dedicate the entire month to Black History Month. And what better way to do it than with cases that really genuinely need the light of day? I absolutely agree. It's definitely something we need to do. And as of 2020, the murders of black women have significantly increased and also less care or devotion to their unsolved cases is at a rise. That itself is truly a crime. Homicide of black and Latino victims are less likely to be solved as well. Absolutely. Black cases sit at a 46% and Latino cases sit at a 48%, whereas white cases sit at a 63%. Today we will be covering the case of the Millbrook twins. This case has been staring at us for over a year now, so I'm glad to finally start season four with the Millbrook twins. All right. I literally cannot believe that we are officially now in season four. It's crazy. <laughs> right. Me too. If it wasn't for you guys listening day in and day out, we wouldn't be here. So thanks to you guys as well. Thank you for all of our fans and continuing to listen to us. Now let's not waste any more time and get right into our time machine and go back to the 1900s, specifically March 18th, 1990. The 1900s. It sounds so weird, but it's true. <laughs> right? Danette and Jeanette Milbrook walked to the local Christ Presbyterian Church on Laney Walker Boulevard. When they returned, they informed their mother, Louise, that a man in a van had followed them for part of their walk. Nothing further is known about this man. Now, right away, these girls are talking to me, which, by the way, is a beautiful thing. And from what they both tell me, their mother was obviously concerned about the van trying to creep on her children, but she trusted that her children would not engage. So she didn't really think much more about it because she was kind of distracted and busy. However, has huge regrets about it even now, this poor mom. Now later in that day, the twins walked to their godfather's house to borrow money for a city bus to get to school the following week as the teens and their family had recently moved to a new apartment that was further from the school. Yeah, they actually showed me how exciting it was to be living in this area, super close to family and friends. It was a step up from where they had previously lived and was very excited to take the bus to school, like, you know, grown-ups. They felt very grown-up in this venture. After receiving the $20 for the bus fare and a little extra for some snacks, the teens went to their cousin's house and asked her to walk home with them. The cousin's mother would not allow her to accompany the twins because it would be dark soon. Sadly, the girls keep showing me that they were continuously getting followed throughout this little journey. You know, just that feeling of like being watched. It had been a very bad feeling that they were still being followed, which is why they asked their cousin to accompany them home. Now, they both show me they may have hung out at their cousin's home a little longer than they were supposed to, and their mother did not want them walking once nightfall hit as well. 
After visiting their cousin, they made a stop at their older sister's house and stayed for approximately 15 minutes. They also requested that their older sister walk with them, but she had declined due to recently giving birth. And after their disappearance, family members considered it unusual that the twins made multiple requests for company on the walk home that day. I mean, they were being followed. Of course, they were probably feeling scared. Oh, yeah. And, you know... They had each other, so they were really, you know, obviously, unless it was something scary, they would not ask, you know. Now, from what Jean shows me, she was the one who kept insisting for people to walk them home. They both show me that they had originally thought it was one person, but it actually turned out to be two of them. They also didn't speak up with their concern. Otherwise, they may have been provided that assistance to get to their final destination, Now, next, they continued on to a local gas station where they had bought some chips, candy, and some soda. The clerk, Gloria, was familiar with the twins. She did not recall anything out of the ordinary about their behavior, so she is the last person to see the twins alive. Now, Jeanette was last seen wearing a blue pullover shirt, with a white turtleneck and a beige skirt, white stockings, and white sneakers. At the time of her disappearance, she stood at approximately 5 feet 4 inches and weighed 125 pounds. And Danette was last seen wearing a white shirt with an image of Mickey Mouse, white jeans, and some black shoes. At the time of her disappearance, she stood 5 feet 6 inches and weighed 130 pounds. Danette has been described as bow-legged. Both girls had pierced ears, shoulder length, hair styled and jerry curls, and they both have a scar near their navel from where they had surgery shortly after birth. Now, the twins were enrolled as students at Lucy Lane High School. They were also known to be good kids, not troublemakers. They did not have a history of running away. And there honestly appeared to be no motive for disappearance. The twins did not have a history of behavior issues outside of a single instance that occurred as a result of one of the twins being bullied at a bus stop. Well, I mean, these kids sound like they're good kids, at least pretty well behaved for 15-year-olds. Right? From what I gather from the girls, they said that if they didn't behave, their mama would whoop their ass. (laughs) After the girls were discovered missing, the family was told to wait 24 hours before making a report. You know, in my opinion, it's always been that way. And I think it's like, you know, complete bullshit, you know, giving the person the time to be taken to another country or another state or wherever they want to go. Yeah, it's not like they were 21 or anything. Right. They were only 15. You know, they're still minors. I think that the rules should be changed. It should be. I mean, I know it is now, but I think it should be even more changed. Like, the second your person doesn't come home, your child or whatever doesn't come home, bam, they should be out there. Absolutely. And very unlikely to run away since they were getting their bus money to take school the next day. I wouldn't walk all that way to get bus money so that I could just run away, you know? And, like, obviously they're smart enough to know that $20 isn't going to really go that far. Exactly. Exactly. Now, little is known about the initial investigation as the original police file is reportedly, quote unquote, lost, which means they threw it out because they don't care enough to do any sort of investigation. 
I agree. It is absolutely absurd and BS. There is so much debate as to why exactly the case was initially closed as well. The family reports that they were told the case was closed when the girls turned 17 because they had, you know, reached an age where they could no longer be legally forced to come home because, you know, they still considered it a runaway situation. I mean, come on now. Jeez. Close more like because they think that the girls just ran away and they didn't want to just deal with that there could be potential murder or kidnapping or something along those lines. Oh, and it gets better. The original investigator claims that he was told by the juvenile case officer that the girls had been found, which led to both cases being closed and the girls removed from the National Registry of Missing Children. I mean, found where? Like, what the fuck? I think that is honestly complete and utter bullshit a lie. That cop is full of shit. I truly believe no one told him nothing. I believe that once he got caught and called out on it, he made up some bullshit lies to make excuses for his lack of interest and, you know, attention to detail. In his mind, any black child or person was always considered a runaway. Yes, because where exactly are they running to? Like the grave? Now, there has been mistakes in the reports from the original investigation, no shock there, such as misspelling of the last name as Millbrooks and listing Jeanette's middle name as Latressa also have remained unchanged in the case files and can still be found on associated databases today, such as the Charlie Project and National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Like, why is it still a thing? This case is over 30 years old and you can't fix or edit the case to the correct name? I mean, that shows you their lack of care. Now, there was finally a big break in this case in 2013, and the case was then reopened. (laughs) Some big case update there. They just so happened to reopen it years and years later. God. During this time, the family members continued to persistently contact the sheriff department to inquire about the whereabouts of where their kids were. The family were given several explanations for the closure of the case, including the explanation that the girls had been removed from the home and placed in foster care and that they were eventually adopted, which doesn't even make any sense. Wow, I'm flabbergasted at the non-effort of this but anyways further investigation revealed this to be false no shock there a close relative did have children in foster care system leading the family to believe that this was the source of the confusion but they really didn't even look into it properly for years to come i mean because come on now they dropped the ball a thousand times absolutely these calls ultimately led to the case being reopened And the media, the sheriff was coded saying that we think a terrible injustice has been done for the last 20 years, which did not help fuel interest in this new investigation. It's still not enough. Clearly not enough. When the hell are these police officers going to be held accountable for their mistakes, for their not caring, for their lack of judgment? Like, I just don't understand. Now, in these cases, this is not just a mistake This is life-changing. It's life-changing for everyone in this situation. These children could have been saved if they put in even 10% more fucking effort than they did originally. You ain't lying. 
They're too busy ticketing people for going too quickly, but no accountability for their actions in these unsolved cases whatsoever. And worrying about people's lawn gnomes and stuff like that instead of actual things that matter. <laughs> lawn gnomes? Yes, like, you know, when people call, like a neighbor calls and they're like, oh, someone stole my lawn gnome. Like, they'll gotcha. go and investigate that, but like, you know, and they'll really try to find who stole it, but won't find who's taking children. Makes sense. Either way, they don't care because they have to make a quota every single month. And that's exactly what they care about doing, getting enough calls to meet that quota. And that's it. They don't actually care about real things that matter. Even with the case being reopened, really nothing took place at all to make up for it. They met with the family members to collect DNA samples, and that was in 2019. It is very unclear that this case will continue to be investigated by law enforcement, which in my opinion, they're doing really just jack shit. I mean, I agree, you know, they should be making this case, you know, their number one priority since they didn't do anything 30 years ago. Let's try to erase that and do better. Absolutely. There's also a podcast called The Fall Line that has taken an active role in the search for the Millbrook twins. They also have helped raise $10,000 towards this case. Well, I can't wait till we get to that kind of point in our time where people will give us money donated to go solve some of these unsolved cases. I bet we would do a better job. <laughs> I would love to be able to do that. Now, the family did meet with the sheriff department and the Milberg family did believe that the reward would be officially announced and matched by the sheriff's department, but the sheriff department denies making any sort of commitment, and you would think that they would, considering their fuck-up from previous, you know what I mean? Like, even if it's from their own pockets, get people around the neighborhood to do the donation if you don't want to do it yourself, but come on now. I 1,000% agree. You know, they'll come after you to buy their calendars and all their other stuff to support the police department, but why should we do that when they won't do anything to fix their mistakes, you know what I mean? Now, they did end up finding some skeletal remains of a black female on January 25th, 1993, and the family did feel as though it could have been Jeanette's skeletal remains based upon the facial recognition, but as of 2017, they were told it was not. And after the analysis, it was discovered that the skeletal remains found did not belong to either of the twins. I know that the skeletal remains did not appear to be approached properly, and I feel like they really did drop the ball, so I understand why the family were confused by that. I feel like the skeletal remains, however, were associated with one of the females that they had hurt in the past. I personally feel like this person was consistently trying to abduct black women, especially young black women, and we'll talk about that a little bit more significantly later. Somebody who has committed a lot of crimes when it comes to abducting and murdering black women is connected to this case. Well, there is only one suspect currently, and they really aren't even a suspect at this point, which is Joseph Patrick Washington. He was an active neighbor, and some believe that he may have been involved in the girl's disappearance. Now he was sentenced to 17 consecutive life sentences in 1995 for numerous criminal associations with the abductions and assaulting of five women, three of whom which survived. He does face the death penalty for the murder of Marilyn Dennis Kelly and was also suspected of Loretta Dukes, but he ended up dying in 1999 before the trial even started. 
Honestly, I hope he died something kind of horrible. So sad and disturbing that all these women would go through all of these steps to get no result and no closure for their children, for their family members, and them just being missing, just nothing. Well, the twins' mother, Mary, has been very involved in trying to find her daughters, and their sister, Shanta, has also been becoming very vocal and an advocate in the search of her sisters. She consistently calls the sheriff's department. Shanta has been a very critical person in this case. The twins actually have eight siblings. This is basically the reason it caused some confusion around the disappearance. She was often mistaken for one of the twins. This case just makes me so mad, but I'm excited to share the story because, well, they damn well deserve it. Absolutely. I also am excited and I also am very frustrated with this case, but I, you know, hate to ask this, but are the twins still with us today? I do not feel as though these girls are still alive to this day. I really wish I had better news on that. I know for a fact that they are very active spirits, though, and they are as active as their family members are with the investigation. They also are equally invested in providing signs. They are very religious and believe in God and find the strength to carry on, and they genuinely are sweet angels. You know, I'm glad that they are okay, but, you know, it's just sad. I was hoping they would still be around. I know, me too. So what took place after, you know, they left the gas station? From what I gather, Jeanette was the one who was very observant of the two girls and could pick up on energy very easily. She saw this car following her. Now, from what I gather, initially, there was only one person. And I think that the girls had felt like they had made a mistake on identification. But from what I gather, there were two people eventually. From the time the girls went to church, this particular person went and got themselves their little ally because there were two of them at the time of the abduction. And I keep seeing that both were male. Well, was either one of these men perhaps Joseph Patrick Washington? I do feel as though Joseph is one of the culprits in this situation, but I also feel like he had a cousin, a neighbor, a friend, I'm not sure. Looks like the second male is connected to him, though, in some sort of way, and had a very close relationship to Joseph. And together, the two of them would do some pretty disturbing things to women. I know that he had sexually assaulted five women, but from what I gather... It's even more than that. And he continued to escalate assaulting women. He eventually got his assailant friend involved in it in a bigger way and started killing them. Does this guy have a name connected to him? I'm feeling as though Darnell keeps floating around in my head. I'm also sensing that he wasn't necessarily as evil as the other one was, but pretty bad. He didn't necessarily even want to sexually assault anyone, but I think he just went with it. But anyway, he started to enjoy it. And at this moment in his life, I see that this guy sits in his home, worried that he's going to get arrested, and he's become very, very paranoid. And he really doesn't leave his home very often. Well, you know what? That serves him right. Screw him. He should be afraid. I believe that Joseph has been the one to make some sort of suggestion to him that he needed these girls and, you know, that they were exactly what he was looking for. He had been wanting to assault these particular poor girls for a while, had been following them for a while. I see that even with the change in location, I see that he had seen them previously and they became closer to him. 
when they moved. They were warned many times over not to associate with anyone, and that was drilled into their mind at a very young age. And by the way, they were best friends with each other. And they usually followed all of their family's directions and instructions on how to handle strange people because, believe it or not, they had been approached prior by strange people when they were a little bit younger. Not surprising, but, you know, how were these two guys able to lure them into their vehicle? From what I gather, it happened only minutes after they left the gas station. I feel like these guys were trying to get the girls before they got to the gas station, but because there were so many people around, they really didn't have a clear shot at them. Now, the girls themselves got to the gas station, and then going home, there was not a lot of people. And from what I gather on Jeanette's side, she continuously kept noticing that these men were following pretty significantly, and she had informed her sister, and her sister just told her to keep walking faster. They started to almost run, really. This vehicle approached them rapidly, opening the back of the van and snatching Donut inside. Now, Jean obviously started screaming loudly as her sister was grabbed, and instead of trying to escape or call for help, she stopped and tried to get and grab her sister back. But this person who had grabbed Donette was able to hold her down and able to grab Jeanette and pull her in as well. While, you know, Donette was settled and tied up, and I think she might have had something over her mouth. Both girls cried and screamed for their family members, and I see that because they were screaming so loudly, they had put, like, a socks in their mouth to keep them from yelling. Poor girls, of course. Jeanette is just not going to leave her sister behind, you know. I wouldn't either. I would do everything I could to protect my siblings as well. I know. And they were super close. And I know they had a big family, but there was nothing like each other, you know. They planned to live together for the rest of their lives, side by side. They didn't want anyone or anything to come between them. Always felt like they were going on an adventure with each other. And then they were taken to this location, and I believe it was a shed of some sorts. I feel like it was honestly a makeshift shed, and it was in the back of a very dirty home with a very trashy backyard. Definitely not anything big, but they placed the girls inside for a few days and it was dark and cold in there while they waited to see what would take place with this crime in the media. Now, since nothing really took place, they proceeded with their plans. Now, I don't feel comfortable discussing what had taken place with these poor girls. It's honestly not something people want to hear about, but you guys can only imagine. How long after they were taken were they murdered? I would say about two weeks. Here's the kicker. I feel as though the Millbrooks family had been passing out flyers. I also feel like the police and maybe the family and friends were in this particular neighborhood and even knocked on the particular door looking for these girls. I feel as though there is another individual that lived in the house. I think it's a female. She was in her pajamas most of the time, didn't wear a bra, had her hair up a lot but pretended like obviously she didn't know what was going on, had no idea, carried on a facade how she was so worried and concerned, and she said she would try to help anything with this unsolved case. Of course she said that, but also didn't do anything. The thing is that these twins both show me that this woman was very kind to them. She was the one who fed them. She had an apron on. She always made sure to give them proper meals, since these men didn't really give two shits about that. She never let them 
go or attempt to let them go either. And they also show me that this particular family member did come back to check and see if the girls were there. This woman could have made the right choice and said, yeah, they're here. Because at times these men were not around. I mean, absolutely. That's what I would be doing. Like, you could have done so much more. You know, they could have been saved. These guys could have been arrested. She could have been put in a safe house. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm very disappointed with this one the most. I know. It makes me mad because so many balls were dropped. So many people were not helping these kids. The woman is no longer with us anymore. She also passed away. So it's not like she can come forward and talk about it to the police now. And her kid also died. I believe that this was Joseph's mom. I also believe that this Darnell person still lives within the vicinity. I also feel like he doesn't work or anything. Messed up teeth, big alcoholic, may even have alcohol poisoning from time to time. Yeah, gross. Well, I hope he has a terrible, painful, slow death. (laughs) Does anyone else know about any of this? I don't believe so. It's very possible that Joseph's mother may have told a few family members about it, but I also believe that every last one of them are also dead. Well, that's no help. Now, what did they do with these bodies? I keep seeing that they were buried somewhere. It is very possible that they were buried at some sort of construction site. I'm seeing it could have been a water slide as well. I feel like there's a building there now. Their bodies are under I'm seeing it was a pretty tall building. I don't feel as though they knew that this was going to be a construction site when they buried the girls. But I also feel like this was like another West Mesa case in the sense of being like a boneyard for bodies. I believe they also killed another black woman and put her there as well. I feel as though the construction crew at the time may or may not have noticed any sort of bones. But I also feel like they continue to carry on with the construction anyway. Will these people, you know, ever get justice for their family? Just seems like it's kind of hopeless at this point. Anything is possible. I personally believe that with communicating about it, talking about it, sharing of things will help some way, somehow. I personally believe that this particular location is haunted. And there are a lot of people that have been buried there. There may even be some sort of big, like, haunting in the building. I keep seeing the building burning. So it's very possible that this building may come down and may eventually burn to the ground. I also feel like it'll be a while before they decide to rebuild in this location. But then when they do rebuild, it might be when they find bones. But I also feel like we still have a ways away before any of this happens. The girls keep showing me that throughout their experience of what took place from these disturbing men, they were talking to each other through everything, being there for each other and standing in front of each other and preventing these men from taking advantage of them in every single way. They had such beautiful presence about them. I keep seeing that they may have had a little Bible quotation or something that they wrote on the walls of this shack as they were sitting there waiting for something to happen. I feel like Jeanette was the one that was most defiant. She was the first one to pass. And Donette did some pretty significant damage. She ended up hitting one of them with a shovel really hard. And she did it to try to protect herself, although she knew that she was standing up against them. She didn't always, which, you know, pissed them off. But they really did genuinely love and care for each other and always will. And they still have each other now. And they are not unhappy. They just want answers for their family and show me that they will get it by the grace of God. 
Well, that's a really tough situation. I'm glad that they have each other, though, and I hope this case is solved one day for them. I really hope that their remains are found. Oh, yeah. I want to get to this location one day and see what I can see, because I feel like there's a few components missing, and that's okay. We're going to try to see what we can do. I will give you guys updates as we carry along with every case, but this one definitely broke my heart just a little bit more. Now, we still have one more for you guys that will be dropping this week. We will be covering the Illuminati. You guys have been asking for this one, so have I, for a long time. So we're going to give it to you guys. So just keep in mind, this episode will be on the exclusive side. So you'll have to become a patron in order to access it. And this is one of those episodes that you guys are really going to not want to miss. Until next time, stay freaked out.